In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Dear seminarians and brothers, dear faithful, four weeks ago I spoke to you about the danger of what I called ordinariness and how that danger can lead us to lose appreciation for our family members and also for our religion. Today, I would like to speak to you about how this same ordinariness can lead us to lose appreciation for God himself. In the gospel for today's Mass, we see uh, a very great lack of appreciation for God, even in the extraordinary. You have these ten lepers who are healed, and yet only one of them shows appreciation for God. In other words, you have a miracle that's been worked, but 90% of the beneficiaries are, as it were, not even cognizant of the benefit that's been given to them, and so they do not acknowledge their benefactor. And this is a very extreme case of ingratitude, showing that we as, as human beings can even lack appreciation for others when extraordinary things are done to us as well as ordinary things. A perfect example of this is precisely the case of sickness, when we get sick. Um, when you know, you're, you're bedridden or, or what have you, all you can think about is being relieved of this disease, of this problem that you're undergoing. You can think of nothing else but of getting cured, of becoming better. But then, as soon as we're back on our feet, we completely forget about our sickness and the state of being a sick person. We may have been, during our sickness, fervently pleading to God to deliver us from this illness, to have mercy on us, to relieve us of our disease. We may have prayed more during that time than we prayed during our entire life. We may have been more fervent at the time of sickness than we've ever been. And this is especially true of those who have a terrible sickness wherein they uh, realize that they could actually die from their sickness. I mean, you look at these ten lepers today and them crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. But then if the disease unexpectedly goes away, we're restored to health um, by a certain chain of circumstances perhaps that, that causes everything to turn out well when things could have turned out to be a disaster, then the healed person can be very quick to forget all of his misery and return to living as if God did not exist. And this inability to be appreciative to God in extraordinary situations, in situations where we are given uh, an immense benefit is really a manifestation of great selfishness. Behind all ingratitude, there is really a great selfishness. An ungrateful person, in essence, is a selfish person. Let's just consider some of the characteristics of a selfish person and why selfishness makes us ungrateful. The selfish person, as we all know, we all have experience of selfish people, only sees his own interests. And as such, he tends to think that benefits are owed him by others. The only thing that's important is what I want 
And therefore, people owe that to me. And when someone owes you something and they give it to you, you don't owe them in return a debt of gratitude. It's a satisfaction of justice. And so you don't have to say thank you for that because they owed it to you. In a sense, a selfish person is someone who sees the whole world as being in his debt. And by that attitude, he renders himself unable to recognize any benefit done to him, anything extra given to him beyond what he owes. Moreover, the selfish person is unable to be content with anything that he has. A person's ego is something that has to be fed continually. In, in ego, an ego that's, that's gone wild has an endlessly ravenous appetite. Selfish people are people with insatiable wills. They want what they want. And that is all that they want. They, they just have the desire to have their own will, their own choices gratified at every moment. And as a result, they cannot be grateful because the very moment that they're given what they want is the same moment as they want something else. The moment that their will is gratified, they move on to, to their will seeking something else to gratify the will. It's like those people who, at Christmas time, you know, they get their gift and they excitedly unwrap their gift. And, and they just have this burst of joy when, when they, they see what they've received. But then they quickly put it aside and then they look and say, okay, do I have anything else here uh, that's been given to me? In the end, what the selfish person wants is precisely that gratification of the will. And this person can really never be grateful because the person can't appreciate any gift. The only the gift only has value at the moment it's given and it loses all value at that moment, which is the same as the moment of gratitude. So I, th I hope that this extraordinary lack of appreciation uh, does not belong to us, that, that we do not have that lack of appreciation that the, that the lepers had when uh, a, a miracle was done to them and they did not seem to have the power to acknowledge it. For one thing, extraordinary things tend not to happen to us. I mean, I don't know of anyone who's been miraculously healed. My, myself, I, I suspect that probably none of us in here have been miraculously healed. And in general, I hope that if, if someone does us uh, some benefit that, that's above the ordinary, that we do tend to show gratitude. So, as I say, I, I think our temptation is more likely that of not being grateful to God in our ordinary lives, in the normal things that happen to us. Because we just don't realize how much God is involved in those ordinary things, the everyday things, the least detail of our life is a benefit from God. Absolutely everything that happens to us in life is because of God. And God only wants your good, and He can only do good to you. It's metaphysically impossible for God to do evil to you. He can only do good to you. It's against His very being to do what is not good. But we tend to not to recognize the good that he's doing to us, and so we tend not to be grateful to God for all the good that comes to us from him in our ordinary lives. 
And I would just like to, to explain how the secular society that we live in helps us be ungrateful to God, helps us not recognize the goodness of God to us. And then I would like to suggest some possible remedies for this situation. So secular societies, such as the society we live in, all these secular democracies that are so common in the Western world today, they tend to make people selfish and so ungrateful and unappreciative. And the reason for this are the principles upon which secular societies have been founded. I'll just give you three of the main principles. The first principle is there's no authority higher than myself. Effectively, there's no authority higher than human authority, personal authority, individual authority. Secondly, what I want to do is the same as what I have a right to do. If you want it, by that fact, you have a right to do it. And then thirdly, the only thing that is wrong, evil, is not letting a person do what he or she wants. The principle of absolute tolerance of whatever behavior, whatever person a person desires. When these principles are, are implemented in a society, gratitude dies a quick death. It's all entitlements and no benefits. Everyone is owed and no one owes. When you have sort of deified yourself, when you have made yourself the absolute authority, it's impossible for you to show gratitude to God. And so secular society is precisely trying to deify individual human beings and living as if man is God in several ways. There's many aspects of our society that we have to notice where we're actually pretending that we are gods. We're pretending that, that we have no authority higher than ourselves and that we have a quasi-omnipotent power. In other words, we have a power over being. We have power over reality as reality. We try to take authority over reality by voting on reality. You have parliament gets together, they have a vote, where you have a plebiscite, where you ask the people to vote, and whatever the majority decides is declared to be right or wrong solely on the basis of the decision of those people. As if their vote has the power to make something real. The decision of their free will, by the fact that it's been decided, has the power to affect reality. Somehow, that is the impression. So, for example, recently, as you know, the majority has voted for same-sex marriage. And so we conclude, the society concludes that same-sex marriage is good by that fact. Our vote has made it correct, has made it right. We try to take authority over reality by inventing a different reality from the one we live in. We try to take uh, the material sources that, that God has, has given us in this world and configure them and create artificial devices that enable us to escape from the real reality that God has created. Um, whether we live in the world of movies or we live in the world of, of Facebook or we live in the world of unnatural comfort, all of these are certain ways for us to somehow get something over on God, to avoid the laws of reality as he has established them. 
We're continually trying to defeat nature because we prefer a reality of our own creation. We want to have the power to reinvent, for example, ourselves, to declare what we are independent of what God has established. Um, we want to invent family, we want to invent gender, we want to invent marriage. And reality does not, of course, cooperate. Nature does not cooperate. The human nature remains what it is, regardless of what we do to it. But we just keep trying, convinced that, in fact, we are God. It's just a question of perseverance. We do have that power. We do have that omnipotent power. It just takes us longer than we would like to implement it. And so we, in our secular societies, we pretend that there is no higher cause behind the human race than mere material forces. There's no God who designed and created our world. And so there's absolutely no one for us to be grateful to. I don't have to be grateful for what I am because no one has made me. Um, there was just sort of eternal stuff that went through uh, an extended series of, of lucky changes um, that eventually resulted in our world. And, and here we are. Um, this is the, the wishful thinking of the atheists, their, their creation myth that they cling to for dear life um, because they don't want to have to be beholden to anybody. They don't want to have to say thank you to their creator or acknowledge that they have a father over them to whom they owe homage. They're afraid of God. They have what we might call theophobia. They're afraid of the consequences of their being a God. They don't want to take responsibility of having an authority over them higher than them. And so they come up with these very we may say uh, intellectually bankrupt scenarios and they believe in them when, when in fact they are contrary to reason. Part of this is that today we think we know everything. We think we've absolutely figured out all that reality, all, we've exhausted the intelligibility of reality. We know everything that there is to be known, um, especially through science. Uh, the scientists say, oh, we can now describe the behavior of physical bodies to a level of detail that we can never describe them before. And this makes them believe that there's nothing else to be explained. Once you've explained or, or described the behavior of physical bodies, you've said all that there is to be said about reality. And as a result... There's no need to believe that there's a God behind the universe and no need to be grateful to God. And this is obviously ridiculous. It would kind of be like you, you, you come home one day after work to your apartment and you walk in and you find there a steak and potatoes dinner that's waiting for you and it's, and it's warm. And you say to yourself, well, you know, I know how a steak and potatoes dinner is prepared. I know all the steps that are necessary to prepare, prepare a steak and potatoes dinner. Therefore, this dinner must be the long-term result of the random combination of material forces. It's not, there's, not, there's no cook behind it. There's no, there's no intelligence behind it because I know 
all the processes that are involved, all the steps that are involved in the effect, which is a steak and potatoes dinner. So there's no rationality behind looking at the universe and describing the way it's developed over time and saying, therefore, because I can describe it, there must not be any intelligence behind it. But it does serve the purpose that the atheists want, and that is that if they believe that, they have no duty to be grateful. Obviously, as Catholics, we know that we are creatures. We know that reality is God's reality. We know that we must not try to take power over reality, but rather we must submit to it because it's precisely God who's working in reality. It's his reality, and it's good. But at the same time, we cannot help but be affected by the secular society in which we live. We cannot help but be damaged by the noxious air which we breathe when we step out into society. Think about it. God has given us absolutely everything that we have. He's made the entire world. He's made human beings. He's made all the material resources that we have, the planet that we live on. But when we step outside the doors of this chapel, when we go to town or we go, go wherever in, in the world at large, when we turn the television on, whatever, we find a systematic, concerted effort to make no mention whatsoever of God, to kick God out of his own reality. In himself, God deserves to have signs of gratitude shown to him everywhere by the human race. This is what we owe him. But in the concrete reality of our secular societies, God is ignored and people pretend as if he does not exist. Or if they bring him up, they always try to portray him as um, a tyrant, as, as someone who's very unsavory and you would not want to show homage to or, or worship or believe in. As I say, we can be affected by this. I think we are affected by this because I think we all realize that we do not have sufficient gratitude to God for his goodness to us. We're not thankful enough for God. We're always sort of discontent in many ways with our lives, with the situation, with the things that are going on in our lives. I think that parents today have a much harder work on their hands than in the past to give their children a consciousness of our indebtedness to God. They have a much harder work on their hands. They really have to make an effort to make their children aware that absolutely everything comes from God, not from human beings. And so, my dear faithful, we don't want to be like these nine lepers. We don't want to be completely oblivious to what God has done for us, to what God is doing for us every single day of our lives. We don't want to forget that the most ordinary things of our lives are gifts from God. What should we do to maintain in ourselves a, a, a constant attitude of gratitude towards, towards our God, towards our loving Father? I just want to give three little suggestions in this regard. First of all, we do have to remind ourselves 
frequently of, of that indebtedness that we have. We have to remind ourselves frequently of what it means to be a creature, that, that we are creatures. We're not creators. We are not God. You don't have to exist. If you exist, it's not because of you. It's because of a choice of God. Many more people could have existed besides you. So if you exist, it's because God has chosen that precisely you and not someone else have being instead of non-being. That you be something rather than nothing. Moreover, the, the rest of the things about you didn't have to exist. The good things in your life didn't have to exist. If you like good food, if you like good companionship, if you like the joys of this life, you have to remember that they all come from God. Thank God that there's more than broccoli to eat on your, on your tables, um, that there's more people than you living in this world. God didn't have to create more than one person. There's many, many people um, that our lives are so full of, of many good things. And, and even, you know, when we, when we advance in holiness, when we advance in our Catholic spirit of faith, being able to see God behind everything, we even start to thank God for the crosses that come to us in this life. We realize that these crosses are also an attempt on the part of God to, to do good to us, to perfect us, to bring us to our true happiness, to, to detach us from our own selfishness. Even those crosses, those difficult aspects of our life, are meant for our good by God. That is part of His plan. Secondly, I, I do think it's important, especially in our, in our artificial society today, where we, where we uh, have so much contact with the quote-unquote creations of man, and we, we tend to forget about the creation of God, we, we do have to try to appreciate the natural world. We have to teach ourselves how to be amazed at the world around us, what we might call the gift of wonder. We have to foster the gift of wonder in ourselves and, and in our children. And this is the ability to wonder at the glory of God's creation, and the soul that is able to do that is certainly a soul that's very receptive to God's grace. Wonder, we may say, is the beginning of wisdom because it is the beginning of the fear of the Lord. If you look outside and you just don't notice anything, it's just boring, you know, then you're not going to admire the, the greatness and the beauty of the Creator. And when we get stuck in an artificial life, nature can be easily become utterly ordinary for us, utterly plain and boring. You must not let this happen to you. Here in Australia, you have absolutely stunning birds. You have an absolutely stunning night sky. You've got so many other wonders of nature that you have to notice and see in them the reflection of God's goodness and his greatness. Then thirdly, I think it's important for us to soak in the spirit of the church's liturgy. It's Holy Mother Church especially that is meant to form our dispositions, form our attitude and our relationship towards God. Um, the liturgy is just chock full of appreciation for God. Um, we, you know, priests are bound to pray the divine office, 150 psalms every week. Uh, the, these psalms that, you know, the seminarians get to see some of them through prime sext and compline. But so many of these psalms are expressions of gratitude 
to God. And we have to try to, when we're praying those psalms, to adopt the dispositions of the psalmist. To have his same attitude towards God when we pray them. But also for all Catholics who who come to Mass, um, there are many prayers in Mass that express gratitude to God. I'm not going to do this for you, but you can for yourself go through Mass and count how many times we say Deo Gratias in the Mass. So many times we say Deo Gratias, thanks be to God. Um, or the, the beautiful hymn of the Gloria, where, where we say to God, we praise you, we bless you, we glorify you, we give you thanks for your great glory. Every single preface, the preface right before we start the, the, the canon of the Mass, every preface starts out by saying, it is very fitting and just always and everywhere to give you thanks, O God, Father Almighty. So we must make this effort to foster our gratitude to God, our perception of the goodness of God, the constant goodness of God, and therefore the duty that we have to be grateful to Him. It's, it's almost like our gratitude to, to God is our last holdout for our humanity. When we lose appreciation for God, we really can't properly appreciate anything or have a proper relationship with God's reality. And we must not, uh, above all, let the selfish, secular, we may see uh, illusory world, secular world that we live in, drain us uh, or drain reality of, of all its meaning. They're trying, to, they're trying to take out of reality, strip from reality, all of God's greatness and leave it just as plain, gray, flat reality that has no hierarchy. We must not let our secular world turn us into ungrateful, unhappy, and forever unsatisfied independent people units. We have to foster the recognition of our created condition, the fact that we are dependent on God, our loving Father, and absolutely everything. And then as a consequence, once we have developed this appreciation, we have to pour forth to Him continually throughout our lives our expressions of gratitude and thanksgiving. God is always being good to us, and he will never stop being good to us as long as we live. In a very true sense, we can pray with Our Lady, and the church has us pray with Our Lady the words that she pronounced. At, when she went to visit her cousin Elizabeth, the words of her Magnificat, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.